Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, welcome to another episode of your favorite wrestling podcast. That's right. It's Ringside Rewind. And of course, I am your host, Chris Jardy, a.k.a. Snaggle J, alongside the greatest tag team partner in the wrestling podcast business with the hot tag. It's Mr. Chris Doyle. Are we being a little forward saying that we're their favorite like no, no. there's a lot out there. Like I mean, I'm I'm okay if if we're like on their top five favorite. We're the well, best, but being know, the best and being their favorite isn't the same. That's true. That's true. There are some great wrestling podcasts out there. One of which I need to listen to later today is uh, the the new Jeff Jarrett podcast. He was going to do an episode about the whole him laying down for Hogan. Uh, Thing that happened in WCW. Speaking, you know, just to get completely off the rails, literally thirty seconds into the podcast. But we're back. It's summertime. It's hot, and this episode is going to be even hotter because we are taking a look at Money in the Bank 2014. Ah, what a time to be alive in 2014. Looking forward to talking about it today. Uh, it's been a, it's been a hot minute, but we're back on the horse with a brand new episode for your ear holes here on this beautiful Wednesday. Look at you being all like, I've got family stuff and all that. Listen, you got to get your stuff together and get your wrestling podcasts done. Listen, I am behind on so many things right now. I am behind on AEW. Uh, I mean, I don't watch WWE for the most part anymore outside of pay-per-views. Um, yeah, I'm behind, man. I haven't watched Dynamite in a couple of weeks. Um, yeah, the most I've been involved in wrestling as of late was, uh, the other day. And I, and if you go to my Twitter account at Snaggle J, you can see where I shared it. I read a Twitter thread. It was probably 15 or 16 tweets long outlining the, uh, the build, uh, in the Kenny Omega, uh, Hangman Adam Page story that has been occurring for the last like four years. Uh, all going towards, you know, eventually Hangman being crowned the AEW world champion, which will hopefully happen in the future. That's been the most involved I've been in wrestling. Other than when I sat down yesterday to watch this great event that we're talking about today, because I am nothing if not prepared to record a podcast. Great. With a question mark or an exclamation point? Both. Yeah, that's what I think too. But we'll get into that as we... Go along. Uh, uh, Money in the Bank 2014, June 29th to 2014. So about seven years ago from Boston, Massachusetts, in front of 15,653 people. That's right. Listen, you know what? It's always an interesting time because Money in the Bank is the kind of event where it really lets WWE unfold one of the great mysteries that they've created for themselves you know at this point in 2014 this was probably the eighth money in the bank eighth or ninth money in the bank oh six or oh seven i think was probably the first one if yeah the, the, the matches because it was a match at wrestlemania for a few years and then got its own paper yeah so you know and the great thing about money in the bank was it let you know who was quote unquote next but with absolutely no you know indication of when that would happen i mean you know you had seen some some very great moments with cash-ins throughout the years you know you had edge doing it twice you had punk doing it twice 
Um, just great cash-in moments. And, I mean, this, not to spoil anything, but this particular money in the bank led to probably the best cash-in that has ever happened, uh, which gives this event a little bit you know, more, more speciality to it. But, yeah, I always love money in the bank, and obviously this money in the bank has the unique circumstance of not only having the money in the bank match, but having a ladder match for the WWE championship at the same time. Um, So, you know, it's, it's an interesting time here in WWE. um, But I always love money in the bank. I think the concept is, is amazing. I'm not as big of a fan of what they've done with it in recent years. And I know, again, the pandemic money in the bank was really just not great. Um, you know, I feel like the, the money in the bank has lost a little bit of luster in recent years, but I still love the, the concept and, and the unknown that comes along with it. Yes, for sure, because you never quite know what's going to happen. What did you say your favorite cash-in was? Uh, my this one. favorite one is probably the, the one that comes after this one. I'm a Dolph Ziggler's cash-in on yeah, Alberto was, Del Rio. That was a good one, too. Th- that was the best part of Dolph Ziggler's career right mm. there. That pop, Biggie, and AJ there as well. Just amazing shot. And I think it was like it was the night after WrestleMania, I believe. Uh, just, it was really good. And it, like you said, it, it was, you know, with Edge taking it and Punk taking it. And those guys really being what they thought were going to be the next generation of superstars, it really shows where, where uh, WWE is going yeah. for uh, their their next generation. Well, and I mean, you look at, like, you, you look at this year's version of Money in the Bank, which is coming up in, in about a week and a half, or, yeah, a little about a week and a half. We're getting there. Um, you look at on the men's side, I mean, there's a lot of interesting options there. I mean, you have Ricochet, you John Morrison, Riddle, Drew McIntyre, Biggie, Kevin Owens, Cesaro, or Seth Rollins, versus, and Nakamura or Baron Gorman. Still <laughs> some things to iron out there. But again, a lot of those names make for really interesting options walking around with a world heavyweight championship match in in a briefcase and you know again like i i think a lot of things were kind of lost in the luster of of you know what happened last year you know like again i, I think I, I think a lot of people were kind of scratching their heads when when otis won um like it just it just didn't seem like a good fit you know, Asuka won on the women's side, which ended up being sort of anticlimactic because Becky Lynch literally gifted her the championship due to her pregnancy. It's kind of, you know, burning that particular angle. But like, so again, I, I'm excited where they're going with it this year and, and the names that are sort of involved and, and looking forward to money in the bank really becoming something that, you know, could be important again. Obviously, the Otis thing did lead to you know him losing it to the Miz and the Miz cashing it in to be world heavyweight championship or world heavyweight champion for about eight minutes. I mean, it was a couple weeks, but still, yeah. Um, but yeah, like I always love Money in the Bank. This particular event um, was a really good bad event. Uh, I think again, if you go into it with thinking that you know that you really want the the Money in the Bank match to be the best. 
I think you're going to come away from this really happy. Uh, like you said, oh, oh, you always get, we're in Boston here. You always get the good crowd in Boston as well. Um, but yeah, I, I love the Money in the Bank concept. I'm really looking forward to it in a few weeks. I'm really looking forward to us breaking down this show a little bit further. So we are just a few months past the miracle on Bourbon Street with Daniel Bryan and him winning the world championship after being a B-plus player and having issues with the authority. However, uh, real life kind of took over a little bit. Uh, Daniel Bryan had to have neck surgery, and it took a turn for the worse leading up to this Money in the Bank pay-per-view. Um He's not. He wasn't going to be able to wrestle. He was supposed to be on this pay-per-view in a match, but the neck surgery caused him some problems. He lost some more strength in his left arm. Uh, this is the surgery uh, that eventually led to his retirement for a few years after the next WrestleMania, where he had to again give up the Intercontinental title and had that very emotional retirement speech in Seattle. Uh, of course, he's come back since then. But um, it was the beginning of the end of the full-time in-ring career for Daniel Bryan. Yeah, I mean, really, again, it's kind of sad. I think, you know, we we covered WrestleMania 30 uh, a few episodes ago and and just kind of the whole you know, moment with Daniel Bryan overcoming the authority. And I think you really had a, a good long-term sort of baked-in thing there. Um, and I wonder, I, I really wonder if Daniel Bryan's injury really necessitated them breaking up the shield. Because, again, that's another thing that happens on the road to money in the bank, right, is is the Seth Rollins turns on the shield. And I wonder if those two moves were related. Um, you know, because, again, you know, the authority at this point, you, you know, you have Triple H and Stephanie and you have Kane and you have Randy Orton. And, and then they, they bring Seth Rollins into their mix as sort of the next big, you know, option for the authority to push forward. And, you know, it's 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 would he have been a, a natural fit with Daniel Bryan in a long term sort of campaign where Daniel Bryan's going to sort of fight in the authority and the authority could play it up from the angle of, well, you know, Batista couldn't get it done. Orton couldn't get it done. So we need some fresh blood in the authority. I, I, I don't necessarily think the two moves were related, you know, Bryan's injury and, and Rollins joining the authority. But I do feel like. I, I really would have wished and hoped that we would have got to see a long-term program with Seth Rollins and Daniel Bryan with Rollins being the, the authorities guy. Um, I'm one of those people that maybe I'm on the opposite side here, but I actually kind of like the authority in this era. Um, I, you know, a lot of people will say, Oh, well, they're just trying to capture, you know, you know, Vince and Shane's kind of authority in a bottle sort of thing. It's really not like that. I think Triple H and Stephanie's version of the authority was was a lot more cold and calculated and completely brazenly just squashing people. And Daniel Bryan broke through all of that. And it's really just sad that we didn't get to see where they envisioned that going in, you know, the six months after WrestleMania. Um, obviously, we know, you know, Daniel Bryan... Had, 
full recovery. He has returned since then, which is great to see. It's great for wrestling. But I, I, I do wonder, you know, here in 2014, the, the, the what ifs, uh, if he would have been able to stay healthy. Well, the big what if for me is, and we'll get into it leading into this, or as we break our way through this show, is the beast is kind of in the background here. Because while it's not known publicly, after a couple of weeks after the show is the return of Brock Lesnar. And Brock Lesnar goes to SummerSlam against the winner of, it goes against John Cena for the World Heavyweight Championship. And that it turns in to the biggest ass whipping you have ever seen on a WWE pay-per-view. Mm-hmm. Um Daniel Bryan may have saved himself getting that ass whooping because True. we know we're not like Brock's not walking in to sell for Daniel Bryan. And if he's going to beat the dog out of John Cena, he's going to do it for Daniel Bryan too. Yeah. Imagine the scenario being, and again, there's a lot of what ifs that could go into this. Maybe, you know, if, if Daniel Bryan is still healthy, maybe Brock Lesnar doesn't come back when he does. Maybe you save him for something like the Rumble or whatever. And, and, and so, like, you know, does Daniel Bryan being out of the picture, does that push up the idea of bringing Brock Lesnar back when they did? And imagine a scenario where Paul Heyman and Brock Lesnar are brought in. I mean, obviously, Heyman's active on TV at this point anyway. He's representing Cesaro. Um, But imagine a scenario where the authority brings Lesnar back to squash Daniel Bryan. Like, again, I feel like they would have had so many options. And again, it's easy to play to play good cop, bad cop with you know, knowing what actually happened afterwards. But I feel like they had a lot of different avenues they could have went down here. Obviously, you know, you get a transitional champion here, and then Brock Lesnar comes back at SummerSlam, and we'll talk a little bit more of that later, but, you know, which kind of sucks the life out of it a little bit. But I just, yeah, it's, there's a lot of what-ifs around 2014 WWE. And you're not only losing Daniel Bryan at this point, you're also losing Batista because Batista leaves after the six man tag at the previous pay-per-view who's which name I'm blanking on, but he quit the next night on, on raw uh, to go back to shoot guardians of the galaxy, I believe. Uh, And that's the same show that the shield split up. So there's a lot of moving parts going on. And when it talks about injuries and guys that are figured in, another guy who was figured in as Intercontinental Champion was Bad News Barrett. He was scheduled for the Money in the Bank match. He was injured during a taping of SmackDown on the 24th of June in Pittsburgh. He'd worked earlier in the show on the main event in a long match. uh, And then later on was in a match with uh, Jack Swagger uh, and separated his right shoulder. Uh, Barrett was started swearing loudly and was in clear pain. He underwent surgery on the 2nd of July under Jeff Dugas in Birmingham. Uh, it was a major surgery involving a ligament reconstruction as well as a distal clavicle resection uh, where the end of the collarbone is shaved off. He was out of action for several months and never really got back 
uh, on track for uh, for bad news or Wade Barrett. Uh, he's back in WWE as a commentator uh, on NXT now, but it was kind of one of those things where you didn't see guys work double, but this guy's working on main event and then on SmackDown. You used to see it back in the day when they did the long superstars tapings and that, but those were quick matches where you guys had, you know, two, three minutes, maybe five or six moves, get your finisher one, two, three and out. Now it's more of a main event style where these guys are taking bumps and being more physical and working more than once a night does, you know, kind of take it to you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it can be, it can be rough. That's for sure. Uh, you know, it's, it's never, I mean, it's nothing's ever easy on the body, but you know, it, it's, it's, it's always, I hate seeing, you know, these sort of things where people's careers get derailed. Um, not saying, you know, like in Barrett's case that he would have went on to become a world heavyweight champion. But like you said, he was never, never, ever the same after. I saw a guy one time on one show I worked, he worked four times in one night. Yeah. Because he was working, he worked a battle Royal. It was like a Royal Rumble style thing. Yeah. And he come in, he come in as something, got thrown out, went back and changed under a mask, come in again and, and got thrown out. Then worked a mask or worked a match under the mask and then worked like the semi-main as himself. Well, and here's <laughs> the thing, right? But you and I have discussed this before with New Japan, you know, and it's interesting to talk about it now because both WWE and AEW are going back out on the road now. AEW is going back out on the road starting tonight. Uh, when you're listening to this with uh, the Road Rager from Miami, they'll be back on the road. WWE going back on the road later this month, starting yeah. with uh, with uh, Friday Night SmackDown on the 16th from uh, Houston. Um, it's going to be interesting to see how people react to being back on the road. New Japan ramped things up really quickly and the injuries piled up really quickly. Now, looking at the WWE calendar, it does it does not look like they're going to be running a ton of house shows, but they have a Saturday and Sunday show every weekend for the rest of the summer. So you're going to have guys that are wrestling on Saturday, Sunday, Monday in the case of a Raw superstar, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, in the case of a SmackDown superstar, if you happen to be wrestling on all three shows. Well, and I think all the house shows are super shows, are they not? They are, they are, yeah. yes. So, so you're, again, it's going to be really interesting to see as they go back out on the road, they start to ramp up the number of matches because a lot of these guys during the last 18 months or 15, well, what are we at? Let's say 16 months of the pandemic. They've probably only wrestled, you know, uh, maybe three out of four Raws or three out of four SmackDowns. And, and that's pretty much it. So, I mean, and maybe less. If they're not, the thing. If they're not featured on TV. Yeah. Like maybe there's some guys who maybe done a main event 
taping, you know, two couple times a month and they're rolling around in the performance center. But doing, and I've had a lot of guys tell me this, is that doing workouts and training and things like that is completely different than ring time. You can be in the best shape doing, you know, lifting your weights and, and doing your uh, calisthenics and, you know, uh, running on the treadmill and things like that. But once you hit the ring, it's a completely different type of conditioning. Yeah. And, and I'll tell you, in a different sort of comparison, you're seeing something similar in baseball this year. First full season back after the, you know, the 60 game season because of the pandemic. And they are on a record setting injury pace. We saw in wrestling with New Japan, you know, so the question is, will WWE be structuring their events, their Raws, their Smackdowns, their pay-per-views, and their house shows to try and limit the amount of activity per superstar? It's going to be really interesting to see in three months' time if you and I are sitting here going through the list of walking wounded WWE superstars concerned that they may have done exactly what New Japan did in the the, the winter and early spring and ab- went back out on the road full force trying to make as much money as possible but in, at the expense of the health of your talent. We could see a lot of muscle injuries, muscle yep. tears, muscle pulls. Yep. Like ACLs. And, w- and WWE, not as deep as they once were. No. Like, you know, they've cut so many people that, you know, it's not like they have a giant swath of, you know, guys just sitting around waiting to jump into a program. Yeah. No, 100%. Like, yeah. and anybody they had kind of on the side that you could bring in at a moment's notice, like, Let's look at Tommy End or Alexander Black, like he or Alistair Black. Um, he was on TV debuting a new character and then was gone. Like, yeah. just like things like that. It, it kind of makes me wonder. Um, but and you're right about the injury thing is that I think we're going to see a lot of guys with muscle strains and muscle pulls and, and muscle yeah. tears, thing, like things like that like repetitive use injuries. Um, I think a guy like, like uh, McIntyre, he's going to be fine because he's got a lot of reps in during this. But, and you know, maybe a guy like Big E, he's got, he's been well used as well. And the guys who have been figured in during the pandemic, I think are going to be all right, but it may be some of the guys who are getting back into the three, four match a week runs that you might see like, you're going to see how maybe have some problems and need to build up that scar tissue again to, you know, build up your bumping again. Yeah, I agree. So during the pre-show, let's, uh, that's, and there wasn't a lot that went on during the lead up to this. We kind of talked about it. One really stupid segment. Oh, in the pre-show? Oh yeah. We're going to talk about it. You got to type down here. I hate every bit of, I, I hate every bit of this. Now, there was no pre-show match, uh, but there was an interview with Daniel Bryan. He came out to speak about his health and being stripped of the heavyweight championship. He was getting a lot of cheers and yes chants from the Boston 
from the Boston fans. His recovery is going poorly. Didn't know when he'd be back. He said he would be, and he'd be better than ever and win back the title. And then, ladies and gentlemen, Bo Dallas entered the ring and try and cheer Brian up. Did you watch the pre-show, or did you just see the recap during the show? No, I I actually watched the pre-show because I hate my life. Okay. So I when Bo Dallas a, comes I out, found a, I found a video of it on the YouTubes. Okay. So Bo Dallas comes out. He's going to cheer him up. And this is when Bo Dallas was doing the inspirational speaker gimmick. And he was talking to everyone and telling them to just believe. Oh, and then Daniel called him a phoner and telling him to leave the ring this is so stupid you've got this guy who literally was your world heavyweight champion coming off one of the greatest wrestlemania main event moments one of the greatest wrestlemania closing moments we've ever had coming out to you know give a little bit of a goodbye i gotta go for now check you later because i'm hurt Got the title stripped. I'm bummed out, but you know the 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 classic. But listen, don't worry. I'm gonna go get healthy and come back to a big pop and leave it at that. You didn't need to insert stupid ass Bo Dallas <laughs> into this segment. It was disrespectful to Daniel Bryan, in my opinion. Was completely pointless and unnecessary. I mean. Even the the comedic parts from Daniel Bryan, by this point, I was just like, absolutely not. This is dumb. There's no need of this. Let him come out, say his piece, you know, like, give his goodbye, see you soon, and just let him go. Play his music, let him leave. Bo Dallas was completely unnecessary to any of this. It was a stupid segment because of that reason. Now, that being said, I have good news for Bo Dallas. He is in the Ringside Rewind Ski Mask Hall of Fame. Yes. Because he was under contract for about two years without appearing on television Mm -hmm. and kept getting that mailbox money. And I believe that he's running, he's getting his real estate license because that's what all professional wrestlers who live in Florida do. And he also has a firm... With Liv Morgan, I believe. So Bo Dallas believed and is living right these days. Yes. Well, I mean, listen, listen. All full credit to Bo Dallas. He did make a, uh, you know, a, a pay-per-view pre-show appearance here, much to my chagrin. But again, very, very much ski mask Hall of Fame worthy. Yeah, and then of course on the pre-show they had the uh, panel, which I believe this point was. Uh, Renee Young, or Paquette, JBL, Alex Riley, and Booker T, right? I believe. Uh, I only caught the... I didn't watch the panels for the pre-show. I know they went back to the panel in the middle of the show, and it was Renee, uh, Booker, Christian, and Alex Riley. But okay. JBL was on commentary for the majority of the show. Oh, that's well, okay. So that yeah. yes, that's where I got. I know they, they they showed the panel at one point during the main event, not the main event, but the main show. 
And it was Renee Booker Riley and our, our close personal friend Christian for Peeps. Uh, Riley, uh, Riley was good in this spot. Yeah, he was. Um, and he was good on commentary in NXT and that. And then he decided to get back, or somebody decided for him to get back in the ring. And Silent Rage was not, you know, say it to my face, was not exactly one of his greatest moves. But uh, he, he was good. And he's a guy who could come back. Like, I don't even know if he's in the business now or what he's doing. But I always did like Alex Riley as a stooge for The Miz. And then as he moved on and did this kind of panel stuff and commentary on on NXT, it, uh, he was really good at, at what he did. Until well, he got in the ring and the bell rang. Well, he, uh, listen, he's done some different stuff after leaving the color commentary world. Um, but he did announce in 2019 on his Instagram that he would be returning to wrestling. Uh, and really not much has uh, happened since. He did reveal in March of 2021 that he suffers from bipolar disorder. Um, so there you go. Wow. I have nothing to say. I have nothing to say. See, let's I just let's move on to out, our pointing out facts from his Wikipedia. One let's, thing, one thing before before okay. we move on to the show, because uh, we seem to be talking about presentation elements and and whatnot. So I, I figured this is maybe the best part for me to throw this in. Okay. This is the era of the shaky camera. Um, now in WWE, we're in the era of cutting the camera every 13 seconds to a different camera. And I, by 13, I mean like two. Um, but this was the era of the shaky cam. So there's a couple segments, especially when they're on the outside of the ring where the, the, the camera operators are purposefully shaking the camera to give the appearance that more things are happening than actually are happening. Um, I much prefer this era of presentation to what we have now, which is literally uh, vomit-inducing camera cuts. I can't um, watch. It, it just shows, even this with the shaky cam, it just shows that Kevin Dunn has no idea how to produce television. It's embarrassing how bad. Like, again, it's better in this era than it is in current era. But, like, it's just unnecessary. Let me watch the performers do their thing and stop trying to enhance it by shaking the camera or changing the camera angle every two seconds. The change. Nobody the camera, wants that. The changing the camera angle thing had its place during the switch over from standard definition to high definition, because the guys were learning how they could lay stuff in because in standard definition, you could miss a little bit and it right. wouldn't show. But in high definition, you got to be snug in there to hit. So the camera cutting at one point had its place. However, that being said, when Edge returned this past couple of weeks ago on SmackDown, there was there's a gif of it on on Twitter. Somebody put together it was 12 camera cuts in eight seconds. And it was every time Edge threw a punch, they moved to a they switched to a different camera. It was eight and twelve seconds, or twelve and eight seconds. One of the, I may have those reversed, but it was definitely way too much, and it is vomit-inducing. Like you, I find myself getting a little sick to the stomach trying to watch when the, the, it gets really, really bad. 
Are you there? Did I lose you? I am here. No, I'm oh. here. I was muted. I'm oh. so I'm so excited to talk about the show that in my in my haste and excitement for money in the bank and my detesting of WWE's production values, I muted myself with no intention of unmuting myself ever. You said Kevin Dunn's name and had to spit, so you didn't I, want us to hear that. I did, exactly. But hey, what do you say we get to the show? Well, I don't have an issue with that. Uh, first match, the actual pay-per-view opens with the Usos defending the WWE Tag Team Championship against the Wyatt Family's Luke Harper and Eric Rowan. In the end, Jimmy and Jay executed a double superplex on Rowan. Jay got a Samoan splash and then another Samoan splash on Rowan to retain the titles. This was a good match. This, I'll be honest, this was a tough match for me to watch because I realized as I was watching it, this was the first full match of Brody's or Lou Carper's uh, that I've watched since he passed in December. And yeah. Oh, go ahead. And it, I realized like that just the reaction from everybody since then has kind of heightened the situation and it's not kind of died off. We've seen that last week on dynamite when they did the uh, tribute to Jacksonville and, and showed the, the Brody tribute show and, and things like that. Like yeah. it still kind of hits and oh, yeah. seeing this, seeing this match, like I said, it was the first one I've seen since then. And just, he was he was so good and it is such it's a tragedy for his family and his friends and it is such a waste to the business as well yeah i think it's it it's great you know that we live in a, in a world where you can very easily go back and watch these and you know appreciate how good of a performer he was you know there wasn't a whole i mean in the wyatt family existence there wasn't a whole lot of times where we got to see the Luke Harper character sort of come out of his shell and show how good of a performer he was. And I think that made it that made it, you know, that much better because you know when he would do something like a super impressive standing drop kick or when he would go to the top rope and, and, and you know do a big lariat off the top rope in a very athletic fashion, it, it, it made it that much more special. This match itself I would classify this as one of those good, not great matches. This was two teams that knew how to work with themselves. This was two teams that knew how to work with each other um, and just have a really good opening match. I think uh, according to the old uh, Meltzer scale of scales, uh, it was three and three quarter stars. That's probably a little high for me. Uh, I saw that after I watched it and I was like, eh, I don't know. Pushing four stars is a bit much. Uh, but this is a good two and a half, three star match to me. It was a great opener. There was some great back and forth. Um, you know, uh, again, I loved Harper and Rowan as a team. Uh, I thought they had great chemistry. I thought they knew both knew how to use their frame really really well obviously the usos are one of the best tag teams of the current day generation um yeah just again just a really solid opening match i would take this match to kick off a pay-per-view uh 10 times out of 10 uh seeing this match and then later on with bray wyatt in the in the latter match made me want Bray to come back, not as the fiend, but as the original Bray Wyatt. 
I think the fiend is it's it's a great gimmick. I enjoy it, but I want the old school cult leader Southern preacher Bray Wyatt back. I think that's when he was at his best. And we can't get the family together again. But and and that's the thing. You know, I've thought about that. Do you think he could really conceivably go back now after the whole Bray Wyatt, you know, fun loving funhouse guy and the fiend? I, I, I just don't know how. I mean, I'm sure you could explain it. Oh, I think you can, because that character has always been shown as having different personalities. Yeah. So you could all like that character could go back to the Southern preacher cult leader thing. And then six months to a year from now, somebody pushes him just that little bit too far. And then all of a sudden out of nowhere, the lights go out and here comes the field. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, that's true. No, I I could see it. I'm sure they could explain it. Um, It's going to be interesting to see, you know, where the whole, where the fiend character goes in relation to the Alexa bliss character at this point. Um, yeah, I, I think so. I also, I'm, you know, there's some word out, you know, rumors and, and things like that about Bray and maybe him not wanting to come back. He's had a lot of issues uh, with dealing with the death of Luke Harper or Brody Lee, however you want to state it. He's had a lot of issues uh, getting over and then dealing with it. And yeah. I don't know. As much as I want, would like to see that, I don't know mentally if it would be a good thing to go back there. Um, or maybe it would be a catharsis for him as well. But, you know, what's best for Wyndham Rotunda may not be the best for Bray Wyatt. Yeah. No, that's right. And that's the thing, is it's going to be interesting to see what happened because ultimately you know you want you know the 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 character is secondary to the person mm-hmm. and the per and and especially with somebody like bray wyatt who is very character driven you know what he does what he chooses to do with the fiend or Bray Wyatt or whoever he needs to be in the right place in, you know, outside of the character in order to make that work. Mm -hmm. And, you know, again, it's going to be very interesting to see how it sort of pans out in the end. I definitely would like to see a Bray Wyatt return to, um, you know, to, to his previous, uh, you know, sort of character that we, that we grew to know and love that we see here at, the, you know, in, in this iteration. Um, yeah, I think that would be great. I'd love to see that too. I would like to see him have a full on baby face run as that. I know it's weird and it's kind of, you know, doesn't make sense, but a full on baby face run as the cult leader. <laughs> yeah. Well, and there's a lot of characters around now that he could, choose to form a new cult with as well obviously yeah definitely maybe it's time to him to find a new family speaking of a couple of women who have very big families in the wrestling business next up we have Paige. you like you like that segue that was good we have the wwe T- divas championship still called the divas championship at this point between Paige and naomi 
Page comes in as the champion after having won it the night after WrestleMania in one of the great night after WrestleMania moments uh, in recent memory. Uh, they go just about seven minutes. Uh, Page picks up the win with a rampage. I have to say, I'm so happy that in the last seven years they have let Naomi really bust out of her shell. Because this match was like as bland as Kraft Dinner without the powdered cheese seasoning in it. Uh, I, I, I did not like this match at all. To be fair, it's miles better than the other women's match we're going to talk about later. Um, but again, this is just that era, you know, where I feel like Paige was so much better than everyone else in the Divas division that what are you supposed to do with her? Yeah, no, you're 100% right. And when it comes to Naomi in this, this is Funkadactyl Naomi. Yeah. From Planet Funk, still using Brodus Clay's music. Funkadonna Bro. Funkadonna Bro. With Cameron, who they're trying, they're, they're yeah, just about to break these two up. Out- well, then they still came out and did the whole dance that they would normally do for Brodus Clay. Yeah. I'm like, oh, sweet. I didn't know Brodus Clay was wrestling on this card. I'm like, wait a minute. Naomi's wrestling. Yeah. And bro, like, because we're past Brodus at this point, are we not? Uh, I believe so. Yeah. Yes. Like, aren't we? We're past, like, Brodus and Sweet Tea and uh, that tons of funk kind of a tag team at at this point and you know Naomi's grown since then and she's done the uh feel the glow and I mean she's she is one of the Usos she's part of this that yeah. Samoan dynasty and she really has picked up her game and got much better in the in the yeah. past seven years so Brodus was actually released in June uh June 12th so 17 days before this event he was released from WWE wow yeah, so then and, 17 days later, they're still doing the Funkadactyl gimmick. Yeah. Yeah, and, it, and it's amazing. Like I said, Naomi's one of my favorite. I feel like, I don't want people to take this the wrong way, but Naomi, to me, is like the female version of Kofi Kingston. Um, You know, not necessarily like the super-duper best performer in their respective division, but always doing interesting, innovative stuff. And you always want to watch Naomi's matches because you're never quite sure what she's going to do next that is physically impressive. And, you know, I do hope before it's all said and done that, you know, that much like on the Kofi side, that Naomi, you know, you know, gets a chance to have a relative run with a women's championship. But the women's division in WWE is just so stacked right now. But yeah, I, I've always enjoyed watching Naomi's matches. Again, I think this is long before they really let her bust out of her shell. I think this is sort of damage control after the whole, you know, Brodus being gone. And eventually, again, like you said, you know, her and Cameron are going to break up. <sighs> Shocker, I know. But. Well, and even after that, like, because it's a, I watch Up, Up, Down, Down a lot. And I watch Da Party play Uno. And one of the things they always like to tease Xavier about is that he ended up, when he first debuted, he ended up with Brodus's music because he came in as Brodus's friend 
first he came in as our truth's friend, then he went away for a while and he came back as Brodus's friend and ended up with Brodus's music. So, and he hates it to the point that last year, whoever lost, they would chose, choose one to sing a theme song. And every time Xavier lost, they would get him to sing the Brodus funk is on a roll. And it was like every time he did it, he died a little bit inside. You could just see it. Yeah. Um, but I mean, it's just Naomi grew from this spot. Cameron went away, came back on Impact recently. And I think she may even had a dark match on AEW. Yes, she was in the tag team tournament. The women's tag team oh, yes. tournament yes, match. Yes, that's right. Yep. Or tournament. Yes, that's right, too. She was in that and then disappeared. So, you know, maybe we'll see Cameron again and she'll that's bust right. out uh, flying her now Conrad off the top rope. That's right. I do need to correct myself as well because I know people are going to yell at me on the Twitter machine. I am aware that Naomi has been women's SmackDown champion twice. But again, I, I'm talking, you know, like a substantial sort of thing. And again, it's very, very difficult in the in the current landscape of um, WWE's women division for her to get any sort of traction because the top end there is just so so insane. Well, and I mean, but right yeah. now, like Naomi's that one that you can go to that's going to put on good matches. Has been there for a long time. You know what you're going to get. And will per, will perform. Yeah. Naomi's time as the flavor of the week. Or month or two months. Is done. Mm-hmm. But she could definitely. Like she could definitely get a another run with the title. And <laughs> there's a, a one of the guys that used to. Uh, I used to work with in when I was doing ring announcing ring announcing uh, was uh, his name is his working name is Henderson Kite. And every time Naomi comes on television, I send him a message. Oh, Naomi's on TV because he absolutely he she is his number one. Turn the TV off. So I just be sure to send a message just to poke the bear every time. On the other side of this. Uh, I had made mention of Paige uh, and her great debut the night after WrestleMania, where she comes out and in her debut becomes women's champion, uh, or sorry, sorry, Divas champion. The butterfly belt. By defeating AJ Lee. The night after this event, the exact opposite happens, (laughs) which is... A wonderful, uh, wonderful piece of business is AJ Lee comes back and defeats Paige to regain the deepest championship. And nobody uh, saw that coming because AJ and Punk had just got married and Punk left in January. Yeah, I mean, the Divas division at this point is a complete train wreck. So, you know, they're trying to bring in anybody. It was interesting because... The, this match, for only being seven minutes long, the first five minutes of it, the crowd was absolutely dead. And then the last couple minutes of it, the crowd was really into it. There was a couple of really, um, 
you know, there was a lot of uh, really close falls, falls finishes here. Uh, it, it was really good. The last, um, yeah, the last, uh, the last few minutes of this match, the crowd was into it. It was really good. But again, this was what you would expect a 2014 Divas match to be. Paige retains, if only for another 24 hours. Can I go off on a oh, yes. can, I, can I go off on a side rant for a second? Just a little piece of information that our people sure. might be interested on. Uh, people uh, are interested in anything that comes out of your mouth. So. Well, thank you very much. Uh, Colt Cabana has posted the entire run of Art of Wrestling on the RSS podcast feed including the punk episodes that had been taken down for a long time for free. Everything that used to be behind his Patreon wall is now free on the RSS feed. Check it out. Uh, it's talking, we talked earlier about best wrestling podcasts, um, art of wrestling and it's run is definitely in the top five. Uh, so check that out. Uh, it's Colt command is the art of wrestling. Everything is on the RSS feed right now including the AEW shows that were behind his Patreon paywall. So check that out. There you go. So now we need to talk about, we need to talk about this next oh. match, right? Oh, wait, uh, wait, wait, hang on. Oh, okay. Speaking of a match that I wish was behind a paywall, so I didn't have to watch it because I would refuse to pay for it. Adam Rose against Damian Sandow. No, no, I'm sorry. You are incorrect. Oh, sorry. Adam Rose against Paul Revere. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Who, oddly enough, looked a lot like Damian Sandow. Yes. Well, this, it was Damian Sandow was Paul Revere's long-lost cousin. Now, here's my thing. I, 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 I hate having back-to-back let-up matches because, I mean, I know the previous one was the Divas Championship match, but this match was terrible. I mean, it was it was bad. It really served no purpose. I would have rather them just given me a four minute build package for the Money in the Bank match, which is coming up next, which we got anyway. Um, I mean, I'm not really sure what you want to say. Rose hits uh, hits a party foul. Sandow on Sandow wins the match. Four minutes. Meltzer gave it a star, which is three quarters of a star too much. The Rosebuds celebrate in the ring. I don't know what else there is. Did you notice any future star rosebuds? Oh, all of them. They're all they've all gone on to great things, I'm sure. <laughs> uh it was well they're in Boston, so Damien Sandell is gonna do something stupid and be Paul Revere. Like they, you know, the idiots are coming, the idiots are coming, you know, that kind of thing. Like Sandell was kind of on the back end of his deal here, and Adam Rose was the ro- the you know, the pedal was already off the rose by this point. Um, so it is what it is, and it stunk up the pay-per-view, and we moved on. This was the this was a match that it should have been on. That's 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 it. That's that's the tweet. That's the tweet. This match being on the, the main card is criminal. It <laughs> really, really is criminal. Like if you have to cut one match and it's not Layla against Summer Ray, it's this one. <laughs> Cut them both. Um, all right, enough talking about Adam Rose and Damian Sandow. Let's step up the rung a little bit here and let's talk about the Money in the Bank ladder match 
we've got Dean Ambrose, Rob Van Dam, Seth Rollins, Kofi Kingston, Dolph Ziggler, Jack Swagger participating in the Money in the Bank match here. We get a um, video package before this one um, from a bunch of different guys. It also talks about the Shield breaking up. Uh, Rollins uh, demanding Triple H that he put Ambrose in the match so Seth can keep an eye on him. Um, this match was really good. We get to the match. Uh, there's a lot of ladder action, of course. You know, there's a lot of different ladders. There's a lot of ladder spots. Uh, there were a couple of spots where I was like, ooh, God. Um, one of which was when... Um, <clears throat> Let me make sure I get this right and I'm talking about the right match first. There was, was it this one where, yes, Rollins takes the the, the backflip off the ladder onto the ladder that's perched on the ropes. And then, and the then he bounces. Kinda, the ladder kind of bounces and he kind of falls. Um, that was, that, that looked like it could have been bad. Mm-hmm. Um, but this match was really, really, really good. There was a lot of good Dean Ambrose, Seth Rollins moments. Um, you know, where they were really kind of scrapping quite hard. Um, obviously, everybody gets their chance to almost get the money in the bank. Rob Van Dam almost gets it. Kofi almost gets it. Ziggler almost gets it. Ziggler was really hot with the crowd here. Um, huge, huge, huge uh, hot with the crowd here. He ends up hitting a, a zigzag onto on um, Kofi Kingston onto one of the ladders. And the crowd goes absolutely berserk. They're really, really behind Ziggler here. Um, But lo and behold, our best friend in the whole wide world makes an appearance. It's the Demon Kane. Yes, the Demon Kane comes down to the ring, hits Ambrose with a choke slam and a tombstone, and holds the ladder. As Seth Rollins climbs up and grabs the money in the bank, ending the match at 23 minutes and 12 seconds, Seth Rollins and the Authority win the money in the bank briefcase in a match that was four and a half stars, according to Mr. Meltzer. It was a great match. Everybody got their chance to shine. It like it it was fun to watch. I'm not a huge ladder match guy. Like these multi-man, like the eight-man, six-man ladder matches. I think there's too much. I'd like to see them kind of consolidate down a little bit. Less ladders. Um, and maybe that's just me getting old. It could be that too. But I, uh, it, it was a good match. You were right about that Seth Rollins uh, backdrop onto the ladder with it jumping that could have gone horribly wrong really quick. Um, I really like part of this match, uh, JBL on commentary, because he is the consummate heel commentator without not without being over the top with it. Where he, well, I mean, Kane just come down to help remove Ambrose because the doctor had pulled him out of the match. Oh, yeah. Like he, he wasn't there yeah. to help Seth. He was just there to, to help the rules. Speaking of Ambrose and being hurt, so early, he, he sells a shoulder injury. The doctor comes out, recommends he goes to the back. He comes back out nursing the shoulder. Now, here's the part that I love. He literally lands half a dozen chair shots 
big wild chair shots on Seth Rollins. Then he can't climb the ladder with the arm that he was just using to wail on Seth Rollins with a chair. Well, when your best friend becomes your worst enemy, it causes adrenaline, Chris, where, where when you're beating him to death with a steel chair, then you can get through that because of the adrenaline. But once you drop that chair, the adrenaline leaves and then climbing up a ladder becomes very like difficult. Coming this Christmas, Chris Doyle makes sense out of stupid wrestling things. Live at the Vogue Theater. Oh crap! Too <laughs> oh soon. nope! Too soon! Too soon! Too soon! Oof. Only, only, only my Miramichi friends will get that, and I feel yeah. terrible that I made that horrible joke. Yeah, maybe a creative, it's, maybe, it's, maybe a creative grounds. Well, Try the strawberry to, lemonade. It'll have to be. That's right. Ooh, yes, I agree, hundred percent on that one. But yeah, I, I feel like this was a, this was one of those ladder matches again. Lots of star power in it. Which I think is 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 really good. You had a lot of different ways it could go. I, I really think again, you know, obviously um, you're trying to you know move along the authority storyline. You're giving Rollins the briefcase. You're really showing that you know even though he's relatively new on this turn on the shield, that um, you know the, he's gonna be he's gonna be the guy, and you know like we've talked about previously, this ended up leading to by far the best money in the bank cash-in, in my opinion, in terms of intrigue, which was at uh, at WrestleMania the next year when he cashes in during the Roman and Lester match and steals the title. In the main Rollins event. wins the title! Rollins wins the title! Rollins wins the title! Michael Cole... <laughs> Like, you know, it's just, it, it, it was so, it was it, something so great came out of it, which I think was absolutely fantastic. But again, I like this ladder match. Yeah, I, I'm not going to lie. Um, it wasn't as good as I remember it being when I suggested we do this episode. I remember this match better than it actually was. And that's not to say it was bad, but I had a, a better memory of this match than what it ended up being when I watched it earlier today again. And I don't know why that is. I still think there was a lot of a lot of great in this match, but for some reason it just wasn't as good as I remembered. I kept uh, conflicting this, this pay-per-view with 2013. Um, I don't know how many times I asked you in between the last show and, and this show, are we doing 2014 or 2013? Because they, they just, they mixed together in my mind. And I think that's a lot of this era is that you see a lot of the same names in the same places. And even seven years later, we talked about it earlier, like the money in the bank championship or the world championship ladder match that happens later on. Cesaro's in it. Well, in a week and a half at money in the bank, Cesaro's in the, Money in the bank match. You know what I mean? Like it's it's kind of seven years and in the same spot. And listen, I'm a Cesaro Mark. I think he is, he deserves a world championship run more than just about anybody. I don't know if it's going to happen. I've gotten excited for it to happen a couple of times and been disappointed every time. And I just, I want that to happen so much. 
And I'll be honest, a lot of it is not because of WWE television. It's because of what happens on the YouTube channel. Because it shows his actual personality, which is much better at making people like him and enjoy what he does than what happens with the super serious cyborg on WWE television. Yeah. Yeah, we've talked about that before, yeah. And I'll tell you, another guy it does it for is Adam Cole. Yeah. That's another guy who, if he could be on television like he is on the YouTube channel and on Twitch, they have a superstar on their hands. But that being said, we'll we'll get to that a little bit later on. This, it was a match to get the authority moving forward. Kane is a bit of a... uh, go-to for Rollins, you know, he's kind of the muscle behind the mouth, and we just kind of move on from there. Yep, I mean, this was good. Um, Again, it led to some great things. Speaking of something that led to some great things, next up we've got Gold Dust and Stardust, the Rhodes brothers, who have gone on to so much better things, (laughs) taking on Rybaxel. I wish I could forget that this match happened, but actually was better than I remembered it being. Uh, Stardust ends up picking up the win, rolling up Ryback at the 7 minute 32 second mark. Two stars from Mr. Meltzer. Gold Dust and Stardust are victorious. Why couldn't they have just won with their finish? I don't understand why they needed to roll up here. Because like, there the, there's the mandatory one roll up per pay-per-view like stipulation. Could it have been that Ryback couldn't have take can't take the crossroads? Maybe. Maybe but, he refused. He couldn't t- like he maybe he can't he couldn't have done the turn. I don't know. But I because I, I watched this match and I'm like, okay, you know, it's just it's a pretty good tag match, and I'll admit I'm a big fan of Dustin Goldust and Stardust was a bit of a guilty pleasure of mine. I thought it, it was good for what it was. It's kind of weird. It's kind of, you know, and I'm a fan of like that, that kind of style of character, but, and I'm watching this match and I'm just going along and, and Stardust goes for the crossroads kind of deal. I'm like, okay, well there's the finish and it doesn't happen. And then 30 seconds later, there's a roll up. Like if that team's going to win anyway, hit a finish on somebody. Like, you don't need a distraction roll-up for that. Yeah, the finish was bad. I'll agree there. Not a fan. Uh, Again, I don't like... I don't like roll-up finishes on a pay-per-view unless they're very, very purposeful. This one was pointless. Like, you know, like... I don't mind a roll-up if it's the, the cheeky underdog stealing one from the favorite, and maybe that's the angle they were trying to go at here. I don't know, but I didn't like the finish. I thought it was bad. Um, again, I didn't like the match. I thought it was eh. Again, this the the majority of this card is relatively eh. Um, you know, you've got three really good matches, and and then you've got a bunch of eh. Um, yeah, I I, I really. I really didn't hate the gold dust stardust stardust dynamic gimmick sort of thing. Um, but again, this match just didn't do it for me. It didn't do anything to get gold dust stardust over. 
um, or you know, may build any sort of heat. It just kind of happened, and yeah. Did you notice at the end of the match, JBL trying to get the name the Dust Brothers over, and then somebody must have told him, "We can't call them that. There's already a music group called that." Stop Ixnay on the Dust Brothers nay. Yeah, that was uh, JBL baby. JBL for the win. Talk about it, and next. Talk about a match I would want to see right now that I didn't care about seven years ago. It's Rusev and Big E. And Big E comes out waving the American flag and does this interview that if they'd have just put a newspaper with that day's date up on it, it would have looked like it was a hostage interview. Like, just the difference between Big E here and Big E now or not even not much farther past this when the new day started is crazy. Again, a guy who should be world champion someday. And Rusev as Miro now in AEW, he gets it. I like, I love his interviews. Um, his God's favorite champion lines. I don't know. You said you haven't watched Dynamite the past couple of weeks. He started an interview. I think it was last week. With, I'd like to thank God for my strength and the fact that my hot wife is flexible. And then went on and started talking about how he was going to beat the crap out of Brian Pillman Jr. Like it was just next level stuff that's serious with a little bit of ha ha, but the ha ha makes him seem a little bit more dangerous. Yeah, hard to believe that seven years ago, Big E was jobbing out to Rusev uh, money in the bank. Um, because Russian, Russian Rusev, when Big E's wearing the red, white, and blue <clears throat> singlet carrying the American flag, and by the way, he's going to tap out to the accolade at the end of this thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it's one of those things, you know. Big E's in this kind of awkward spot, right? Because you know he kind of came up with you know with Ziggler and and AJ and that sort of trio, you know, during the Big E Langston days. And, you know, up until this point, you know, he was sort of like, this is kind of, I think, where things just sort of really didn't work out. Because you got to remember, too, you know, he was he, he was kind of in and out of the intercontinental title picture, um, you know, in, in late 2013, early 2014, where he was intercontinental champion there for a little while. and will be again in the picture i think in a, in a few months um at battleground i think he competes in a battle royal for the intercontinental championship he loses it eventually gets won by the miz um <clears throat> but you know again shortly after this is when the original incarnation of the new day starts and you know where the originally the new day is kind of this super serious group and you know, it was it, it, the best thing that's ever happened to him. Um, it the, le- it, it yeah. let him con- it let him connect with fans on such a such a different level, and and especially once New Day got weird and and really got to be the fun New Day that we know and love now. He connected with people in, in such a such a granular way as this big fun loving dude that likes to fire pancakes at people and and eat popcorn weirdly in the front row 
in the one of the internet's favorite memes. Um, you know, it, it's just it, it's it's such an amazing path to see what what Big E has become. Uh, the the New Day version point five uh, debuted on just a pretty much a month after this, July twenty first, twenty fourteen episode of Raw. Big E and Kofi Kingston suffered a loss, and that's when Woods came out in the white suit with the red shirt and said that they couldn't get ahead by kissing babies and shaking hands. And then they kind of disappeared from television not long after that uh, and then come back as the New Day, starting with the vignettes on November 3rd and debuting on November 28th on SmackDown. So it wasn't that much longer after that that we saw the three of them put together but we didn't see the new day for a few months after this. Yeah, that's right. And then we're kind of off to the races with that over the next couple of years with what they would become. Mm-hmm. But this match was, it was a good big man match. Like these guys were, you know, getting together and hitting each other hard and Biggie put in as much as he could when he took the accolade and hung on as long as he could and then tapped out. Um, it was a good match. I like Rusev when he's serious, and I, I'm a big fan of Big E, so this was a good match for me. And then, speaking of great matches, this next match, like, it really is, it should have been the match of the year uh, for 2014. There really isn't enough stars uh, to talk about how great this match is. Like, I, I know the American flag has 50 stars. This match really should have had 51. Oh, my uh, word. Uh, it, it's a main event in any arena in the country. Like, would have set pay-per-view. Like, if they had really promoted this match, it would have been, it would have set pay-per-view records. People who don't have pay-per-view access would have bought it on pay-per-view. Just to say that they saw Summer Rae and Layla with Fondango as the special guest referee. Listen, this match was three minutes and six seconds. It was three minutes and five seconds too long. Um, Just terrible. To have this be your second to last match on any pay-per-view, any wrestling event, any Raw, any SmackDown my God, this match would be garbage on a house show. The fact that anybody in their right mind paid and had to watch this absolute stinker of a match. Fun. Could, couldn't be over fast enough. Um, and, and the sad part is, I didn't even fast forward through it because I knew it was only going to be a couple minutes. And I figured by the time I click and then the internet reloads the feed, I'm just going to be at the end of it anyway. Yeah. So I, I just... mean, I watched it. I, I, I'll admit, I kind of like Layla. Layla was, Layla was good. She was good as part of the, uh, um, I, I want to call them beautiful people, but that's what they were. Lay cool. They were ripped off from yeah, beautiful yeah. people. She was good in that. I always was a fan of hers. Summer Ray, whatever. But yeah, no, this was, this, this was, yeah. Yeah. We've already spent too much time talking about it. Yep, true. What was the main event in this, do you think? The main event in this 
was a ladder match for the vacated WWE World Heavyweight Championship, which at this point was still two belts, not one. Both belts were hanging above the ring. It featured Kane, Randy Orton, Sheamus, John Cena, Roman Reigns, Alberto Del Rio, Cesaro, and Bray Wyatt. Another one of your favorites, the gigantic eight-man ladder matches. Um, This match was interesting. Um, it goes 26 minutes and 28 seconds. Um, it's, it's, it's a, it's an interesting little match. Um, during the match, Cesaro and Sheamus are, are fighting on top of the ladder. Wyatt pushes the ladder over, which causes Cesaro and Sheamus to hang on to the belts in what was a very interesting, um, little spot. And then Orton hits an elevated DDT off a ladder bridge between the apron and the broadcast table on Sheamus, which was really nice. Uh, looked really well done and brutal at the same time. Well, and they um, talked about, too, uh, the year of previous. She, that exact same spot had happened to Sheamus, and he ended up with a shoulder injury, I believe it was, that kept him off about six months. So it kind of was a good look back, and they used that on commentary. Yep. I love when WWE, those rare glimpses where they actually use things that happened uh, to build up something happening in the match. Um, Sheamus has a really good performance here uh, in the middle part of the match. He was really kind of controlling things. He hits a big diving shoulder block on Kane. Hits an Irish curse back, back breaker, easy for me to say, on Del Rio. He hits the white noise on Orton. Hits a bro kick on Cena. Um, Sheamus really kind of controls the middle of the match here. Again, I guess he's coming into this as the only guy who's currently a champion because he's the United States champion. Um yeah, so he's kind of doing his thing here in the middle. As um, he is now, by the way. He's the United States champion right now. This is true. This yep, is very, very true. He's back on Raw this uh, coming week uh, from a nose, broken nose. He's got like the mask on and that. But again, this is kind of what we're saying. Like seven years ago, Sheamus was United States champion. Right now, he's United States champion. That's right. Kind of an interesting turn of fate here. Um, uh, Reigns has his little bit. It's interesting now that we mentioned Reigns to see kind of where the crowd is at in this match. Now you got to think, right? This is in Boston, basically John Cena's hometown. Um, the crowd very, this is very much in the era of we, we love Cena. Cena sucks. Um, you know, in, in that's kind of where we're at here. Every time Cena, um, you know, does anything, it's met with a chorus of cheers and boos because you see, you hear the boos more than the cheers, but you see everybody in the first 15 rows wearing Cena Fruity Pebbles uh, merchandise in a variety of colors. Well, you hear uh, the boos, you hear the boos because the boos are much deeper because it's the adults while the kids are cheering very, with the higher pitched voices. Very true. And you also see um, scenarios in starting to develop already with Reigns. There was a little bit of um, negative reaction in the middle of the match here. Reigns starts building a bit of steam, hits a spear on Kane, hits Superman punches on Orton and Sheamus, hits a uh, running front drop kick on Del Rio, who was uh, draped over the bottom rope. You, you start to hear a little bit of the boo birds in the crowd for Reigns already, which is... Uh, Concerning. 
concerning. Uh, yes. Um, Reigns and Cena go back and forth a little bit here. Oh, well, you do get um, uh, a little bit of interaction with Reigns and Wyatt as well. Hits a spear on Cesaro. Reigns fights with Cena. Ends up uh, executing a spear on Cena. Um, at this point, we're into just finisher central, basically. Um, the uh, there's the, there's an interesting spot here where I'm trying to remember exactly how it happened. How Orton ends up hitting his face on the bottom of the ladder, um, which was I think what caused him to to open up a pretty be- pretty nasty cut. He kind of like goes down and then like pops back up and kind of hits the bottom step of a ladder. Yeah, it caught him right on the correctly. top of the head. Yeah, yeah, no, yeah, you're right. He ends up uh, ends up uh, opening up here a little bit. Um, Orton gets up there, and again, the uh, Triple H and Stephanie are at ringside for the whole match. Very clearly, partisanly cheering for Randy Orton, also cheering for Kane a little bit as well. I do like that commentary brought up, you know, who they would prefer to win, sort of sowing some seeds of doubt into how well they were supporting Kane. Uh, but Orton attempts to retrieve the championship belts, but Cena hits him with the AA. Uh, sorry, hits. Kane with an AA and then hits Orton with an AA on top of Kane and then Big Match John climbs to the top of the ladder and unhooks the belt John Cena yes ladies and gentlemen in front of his pseudo hometown crowd John Cena once again is the WWE World Heavyweight Champion. 15-time champion. And if I'm not mistaken, this particular championship is the one that set the WWE Champion record of 13 times. I think so. If I remember correctly, I know 13 times was the one where he set the WWE record. And I believe it was this one. This was a good match. Uh, Everybody had their chance. Everybody like it was very well put together. It was fun to watch Um, again for myself as a fan. It had guys that I enjoy watching, like Wyatt and Cesaro. Uh, I could care less if I had ever seen Alberto Del Rio again. Sheamus, I'm a big fan of his. Like there was, there was great spot. There was, I don't want to say spots because that that has a connotation I'm not intending. But it there were great ways that this match was put together that let it breathe a little bit. It wasn't just spot after spot after spot after spot. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this, listen, this was one of those, uh, this isn't the best ladder match in the history of mankind. Not even close. Um, Meltzer gave it four stars. Again, I to me, I feel like that's a bit high. There was a lot of gaga in this match that I really didn't like. The whole scene where the guys are kind of running around behind the ladder and all grabbing onto each other and stuff, like, that went on a little too long to, for my liking, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, <clears throat> again, it, it's the ending of this is interesting. I think it's always interesting whenever WWE is forced with an injury um, 
how they deal with it. And again, you know, you look at this in a vacuum, right? You're subbing out Daniel Bryan, you're replacing him with John Cena. We know now, you know, two months later, um, John Cena is going to get essentially squashed by Brock Lesnar at SummerSlam. He's going to get run over by a Mel Trump yeah. that has a demon tattoo yeah. on its back. Like, so, you know, so again, if you're looking at this match in terms of the vacuum that it was in, I could see why people would be upset that John Cena comes away with the championship here. Why not put it on, you know, Orton? The authority's really high right now. You know, that, but then again, that creates friction with Orton and Rollins with one the championship and one the briefcase. Um, you know, again, Bray Wyatt here would have been a good choice. Del Rio's a multiple-time champion at this point. Um, you know, Cesaro still hasn't been the heavyweight champion. Maybe never will be. Um, but again, I, I don't hate the decision to, to, to give the title to Big Match John. Again, if you know he's going to go to SummerSlam and get absolutely destroyed by Lesnar, um, it's, it, it's one of those things... Um, you know, that, you know, it worked out. It was one of those things that in the end, this was a huge, huge, good story that WWE literally had to make out of, you know, the dog shit situation that they were put in by Daniel Bryan being hurt. And I'm happy to see John Cena win this knowing what happens at SummerSlam. Yeah. Because I wouldn't want Cesaro's world championship reign to end two months later getting smoked by Brock Lesnar and not having that credibility that John Cena has. The same way Bray Wyatt as the Fiend's world championship reign got absolutely decimated by putting the belt on Goldberg. Yeah. Essentially, that's that's I mean, that's pretty much it. Right. It's one of those things where, you know, it's they made something good out of nothing. We talked about Orton getting uh, cut open. He got 11 staples to close the gash on his head suffered during that main event. So 11 staples to close that. That's all. That's a big Deep cut. Yep. So the following night, so John Cena is the world champion, so the authority is obviously going to throw its arms around him, right? Like, they're going to make him the cover of the WWE 2K15 video game. Woo! 2K15, baby, what a game. I don't even remember it. I probably bought it. Uh, that have been PS4. That have been PS4, right? Oh yes. Yeah, I don't know. I don't see it here, but I don't. I I kind of took a couple of years off of of the games, but uh, uh, so then Triple H scheduled a fatal four-way match for the World Heavyweight Championship at Battleground, that was between Cena, Orton, Kane, and Reigns, and then in a tag team match between those four superstars later in the night, Seth Rollins attempted to cash in his briefcase. Against an assaulted Cena for his championship, he was stopped by Dean Ambrose, who said earlier in the night that's why he was there to stop Rollins from cashing in his briefcase successfully. 
We talked about it earlier, also on Raw. AJ Lee returned, defeated Paige for the Divas Championship. And then a few weeks later, Brock Lesnar returns July 21st and proceeded to defeat John Cena at SummerSlam to capture the WWE World Heavyweight Championship. And that is looking back at Money in the Bank 2014. Yeah, overall, a good card, not a great card, a good card. We're in this weird era. Um, I, I don't know if you want to call it the post-punk era of WWE. I guess you could. Um, it would be factually correct. But you're in this kind of transitional era, right, where you can see WWE is kind of starting to sow the seeds of pushing some new guys. Obviously, you put the money in the bank on Rollins. Um, you know, you know the the events that come after this, they showed a desire to want to push Roman Reigns. I mean, Reigns is going to be in um, the main event here. He's going to be in the main event in the Fatal 4-Way uh, in, in a month's time at the next pay-per-view, which was, I don't remember, I think Battleground, but Battleground, that's right. Um, so, you know, they're, they're showing some wanting to develop new guys. Obviously, Rusev got a bit of a push here. Um, so, you know, you're in this kind of this transitional phase and it's kind of funny because a lot of people will say WWE is still kind of in that phase, uh, because this is really before NXT absolutely explodes, um, with popularity, right? Um, you know, NXT at this point, um, you know, is, is, is really starting to pick up steam in terms of popularity. And, you know, it's, it's because again, you know, Rusev had recently come up from NXT. Um, you know, it's, it's, you're, you're in this kind of, this kind of phase where, you know, it's, it's really starting to move out of that developmental brand territory and into, holy crap, all of the best guys WWE has are in, um, yeah, we're just into the beginning of NXT as its own television show. Uh, yeah. Like just looking at this at this card, Paige was NXT Women's Champion. Adam Rose was on NXT. Seth Rollins, Dean Ambrose, and Roman Reigns were all on NXT. Kind of like Seth Rollins was the first NXT Champion. Yeah, uh, Dean Ambrose was in FCW before that never really appeared on NXT television. Roman Reigns, I think may have been on once or twice. Rusev you, and you know, like you're still, you can see where things are yeah. building, right? Well, if you want to look at um, some big names in NXT, the first NXT, the first NXT show after this money in the bank event, Charlotte and Sasha Banks team up against Bailey and Becky Lynch. There's the four future stars of your women's division in one match three days after Money in the Bank. Um, Sami Zayn wrestles in the main event of NXT on July 3rd. Uh, there's just so many big names in NXT. and I mean, that's literally what I could find in two seconds of searching. Uh, Neville is putting on a show down at NXT at this point as well. Um, you know, he wasn't long for the WWE world, but he did have a good run on 205 Live. 
Um, again, it's just, you know, NXT really starts coming out of their shell at this point. So it's a very interesting time in WWE. Again, this this Money in the Bank event was great. It led to some great stuff in the in the um, in the post, you know, punk era where they're kind of trying to sort things out, you know, with with punk being fired and Daniel Bryan being, you know, injured. Yeah, this was this again. This was a good show, not a great show. Um, I definitely don't think it was as good as I remembered it being. Um, but again, it was an enjoyable watch. A couple of great ladder matches and a great tag team match. Um, and I, you know what? I, I enjoyed uh, taking a look back at it. Definitely. And we're going to take a look back at a couple uh, of matches as we work, work our way through this uh, Ringside Rewind summer. Uh, you and I have a very special episode coming up. Uh, in the next little bit as well. I've been talking to some friends of the show and they have suggested some matches that we can do a watch along for. So we're going to be dropping those as well in the uh, next little bit as we uh, get you some content, as we also enjoy uh, the uh, summer weather. So we want to be sure we get that out there, but we also need to take some time as well uh, to uh, get out and enjoy the decent weather. So we're going to do that and if you have anything that you want to let us know, you can definitely do that by checking out our website at ringsiderewind.com. You can check out uh, Chris at uh, on Twitter at SnaggleJ. I am at CD Lawrence. And the show is at Ringside Rewind. As always, we appreciate you guys listening to this episode of Ringside Rewind. If you're listening live, on your internet browser at ringsiderewind.com or in your podcast app of choice on Android or iOS. We greatly appreciate you and your support of the program. Uh, we love doing it, and we hope you guys are enjoying it. We've got a lot of great stuff coming uh, in the weeks and months to, to follow here on the program. Again, if it's the first time you've ever listened, tell a friend, share it on the social medias. We greatly appreciate it. Uh, because you know what, without you guys, uh, we really have no reason to do this other than the fact that we are a couple of grown men who enjoy sitting around talking about wrestling. Um, that's just how it goes. Thank you guys so much for listening to this episode of Ringside Rewind. And until next time, be kind and rewind.